to the first ever episode of the Gray Matter podcast. I'm so excited to get this show underway and I thought that today we would begin by talking about something that is on the forefront of everyone's minds. It's where is God in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic? Uh, Can we trust a God who allows such a thing to happen and how should we respond to it? So thanks for being on the show. I look forward to talking about this with you today. You know, obviously, this is much more than a hot topic issue today. It's uh, something that we're all living in. It is a global pandemic. It's not something that's just localized um, wherever you're living, uh, whatever town, city, state, uh, or even country. This is something we are all experiencing together. Um, I've heard it said that this is the largest global crisis uh, that we face since World War II. Um, and when you think about it that way, it is, it is really staggering. Um, just looking at some of the numbers, um, at the time of recording right now, we've had over 3 million cases of coronavirus globally and uh, over 209,000 deaths globally. Um, certainly, I think there's an argument to be made that this hasn't been as bad health-wise as we thought it would be. I think that's good news. You know, that point gets politicized all too often. I think we should just be glad that that's the case. Um, unfortunately, though, in the States, I think we've actually experienced this worse than, than other places. Um, of those numbers globally, uh, in the States, we account for over a third of all cases worldwide and over a fourth of all deaths worldwide. Now, what's interesting about that is that in the States, we are only, what, like over four, just over 4% of the total uh, global population, right? There's 7 billion people uh, on the planet. We account for about 4% uh, of that total population here in the States, and yet we have a third of all cases of this virus and a quarter of all deaths. Um, There's probably a lot of reasons why that might be the case. Probably a lot of reasons we're not going to get into because it's going to get into some of the political points, which certainly are not off limits for this podcast. We may talk about those at another point, but um, for this podcast today, I simply want to raise the questions about who God is in the midst of all this. And I raise the points of those statistics just to say here in the States, the chances of you listening, um, having been affected by this, having known someone who has gotten sick. Uh, maybe perhaps even gotten sick yourself, um, maybe even knowing someone who has passed away from the coronavirus, uh, the chances are probably more likely for those of us who are in the States. And so it's something that we have, we're dealing with, the, uh, the health side of this. Um, my guess is if you're listening, even if you haven't had much experience with that side of it, you are feeling the economic implications. Uh, globally, we have actually entered a, a global recession, the largest global recession in history. Um, So the implications for coronavirus, uh, of course, going far beyond just the health risk, which fortunately seems to be lower than we originally thought, Um, but the implications of of more than a third of the world going under a lockdown, and at the time of my recording right now, 
uh, at the end of April still being under a lockdown. To date, we've had 26.4 million people file for for unemployment in the uh, in the states, and that's since mid March. Uh, okay, so since mid March, 15% of the workforce in the United States is filing for unemployment. People losing jobs. Half about half of all households in the U.S. have been impacted with a job loss or reduction of income. So pretty good chance if you're listening, you have faced that or definitely that you'll know someone who is. Um, And then with that, of course, the strains, Um, I've been working from home and working from home with two young kids is a nightmare, (laughs) as you can imagine. Now, there's a lot of sweetness that comes from that, right? There's a silver lining um, of getting some more family time. And I'm so thankful. And um, that could be another episode in and of itself, just trying to see the good and the silver linings in all of this. Um, But it's really difficult. And especially for those who have, um, you know, both, both parents working uh, full time and trying to carry that into the house. Now schools are closed. Now you have the education piece for your, for your kids. If you have kids, um, you're trying to figure out, uh, if, if you have kids and they're home from school and you are still actually going into your office, you're essential. You're working that out. Single parents, um, I, I, God bless you if you are a single parent walking through this and the difficulty um, that that is associated with that right now. Um, in addition to all the income uh, uh, related things, um, education, childcare issues, housing for those who are losing jobs or income, even just being able to pay rent or even being able to pay for food um, and basic needs, that is being called into question. And so clearly this is an issue that is not going away quickly. It's, it's a huge issue that we are all facing and we're all facing it together at the same time. And I know some of you are facing the pain and suffering and feeling it more acutely than others. But I think the questions are raised uh, at least on an intellectual level, even if you're not feeling it necessarily personally and emotionally. The question is, where is God in the midst of all of this? How can God allow something like this to occur. I'm going to assume most people who are listening to this podcast are saying, I believe that there's a God. I'm just wondering where he is in the midst of all this. Or your question might look like, what kind of God could allow the coronavirus to take place? Or perhaps, is God causing this to happen? And then the question where it really becomes personal, and this is why it's so important, becomes, can we trust that sort of God? The sort of God who allows pandemics, pain, and suffering to occur. Clearly, this, uh, this question about the coronavirus is bigger than just the situation we're in right now. This is a question that people have been talking about, philosophers and theologians, um, for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's the question of theodicy. That's the fancy word for it. It's the idea of how can we vindicate God's name in the midst of pain and suffering? How can we reconcile a world that is clearly broken and hurting uh, with God? There's this uh, idea from, I think it's traced back to David Hume, who was a, a philosopher, uh, and it's called the inconsistent triad. And, and it's this idea that um, if God is all-powerful, then God can prevent suffering. But God does not prevent suffering. Therefore, God is either not all-powerful or he's not all-loving. In the Christian tradition, at least, we believe that God is all-powerful and we believe that God is all-loving. But we live in a world where we face the fact that suffering exists. If God's all-powerful, he should be able to prevent this, and clearly he's not. So does that mean that there's a deficiency in his love? Does he not truly love us all? These questions get to the heart of the Christian message, and they get to the heart of 
our faith, uh, if you are a person of faith. And if you are a skeptic or an atheist, agnostic, a seeker of any kind, um, uh, these are probably questions that you're wrestling with as well. It might be questions that have driven you to a point of skepticism or disbelief. And so what I'd like to do today is talk a little bit about, um, first, how we shouldn't respond to this based on some responses that are out there. Then I want to talk a little bit about the kind of God that we have, um, the kind of God we see in Scripture, and then how that can inform the way that we should respond to this. And uh, hopefully that this will be helpful and this will provide a little bit of understanding. Um, but of course, this is a podcast not just for the transfer of information, right? I'm, I'm not just trying to give you a lot of good intellectual ideas here uh, and we'll just, that we just stop there. My idea is that we have information that leads to transformation. I want this to be a learning about God that isn't just in your head, but that's also in your heart. And so that's what we're going to be working towards uh, in this podcast. So the first question today is, well, how shouldn't we respond to this, right? Because we've seen a lot of responses coming out, especially from faith leaders. And so just for some clear, clarity's sake, you know, how should we not respond? So, well, this is what I think. Um, I think, first of all, we should not respond by trying to transcend, ignore, or, or kind of stay above pain, right? We shouldn't try to to transcend, like in, in Buddhism, Buddhism deals with pain and suffering by telling you to kind of transcend it, to, to, to forget your body. The body's not important anyways. The whole point is to um, reach this point of illumination and enlightenment in your, in your spirit and in your mind that you can just rise above all the pain and eventually leave it all behind. Um, uh, unfortunately, I think some of us uh, can fall into that kind of mindset. I don't think it's a good way to deal with this, though, because the reality is we are embodied creatures, and we feel the things that are happening to us. And those emotions are not right or wrong or bad or ugly. It's just how God has created us. So that's not going to be a good answer. Um, there's another response that, that says we just kind of ignore it. That's uh, the classical version of this is in Stoicism, where... Um, we, we, we just use actually a great modern day example of this is, uh, in the sports world. So if you're, you're an athlete, you will resonate with this. Um, I grew up playing sports, had the opportunity to play sports in college as well. And you hear so much from coaches about this idea of mental toughness, right? You want to have mental toughness or mental strength and you rise above, um, the limitations of your body by, uh, the way that you think and the way you tune those things out and just have, this great mental strength, this ability to focus despite what your body is feeling. Certainly there might be some truths in that that we could draw out, but the point is that you numb what you feel in order to respond to difficult situations. Uh, I can tell you, anyone in a counseling profession would tell you that's a horrible idea. <laughs> it might work in athletics to get your body stronger, and there are definitely points at which um, we have to learn how to deal with difficult things by not uh, making everything in our lives a crisis and, and creating a sense of toughness. Um, but the idea of just completely ignoring problems and acting like our feelings are not real or important is a bad life decision. Um, but then there's a, the opposite, uh, uh, or not really the opposite of that, I guess. Uh, there's, there's almost a Christianized version of that. Um, and this is where I, I'm going to call this the Christian radio response. Okay, this is a Christian radio. You might hear this from the broadcasters on the Christian radio channels. 
And if that is you, <laughs> I um, would welcome uh, being corrected on this. Um, but I think a lot of times when I listen to Christian radio, what I hear is so much positivity, it just doesn't even feel real or authentic. Um, it's just pumping the sunshine no matter what. And uh, it's just this idea of we'll get through this. God's got it. Nothing's that bad. We're too blessed to stress. You know, it's the hashtag blessed all over Instagram, no matter what's going on. And, um, you know, this certainly highlights an important part of the Christian message, right? I mean, we are people of hope. If you are a Christian following Jesus, I would hope that you are a person of hope and uh, that in the midst of pain and sorrow, uh, you are holding on to a joy that uh, is, wouldn't otherwise be there. We need messages like this, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to detract from that. What happens, though, is, is this avoids the reality, I think, of pain and suffering, uh, I think sometimes we jump too quickly over pain to these messages of hope. Um, and what ends up happening is uh, we feel like we, we don't know what to do with, with what's happening. It feels inauthentic to actual human experience. You know, for me, even being a, a pastor, sometimes it's easy to get kind of nervous with other people's pain. Right? If we have friends or family who are going through hard things, it's, it's easy to, to try to ignore and just pump the sunshine. Hey, you know, God has wonderful plans for you. Hey, you know, God's going to work all this out for good. Hey, you know, this is going to be awesome. Don't be so down. Celebrate that your lo- lost loved one who just passed away knew Jesus and is in a better place. Hey, you know, this down economy, it's just a chance for you to trust God. You know, like it, you get the picture, right? These kind of ideas. And here's the thing. All of those statements are true. All of those statements are true. It's not a matter of is it true or not. It's a matter of is it responsible, uh, is it a responsible way of responding to pain and suffering? And I think it's just missing or short-circuiting how we should respond in a healthy, biblically informed Christian way. Let's not respond to this by trying to transcend, ignore, or stay above the pain of the coronavirus, of what's really happening. The second thing I would say is we shouldn't respond by trying to give explanations for why this is happening. All right? We shouldn't try to give rationalistic explanations. N.T. Wright made a a fantastic point about this. I'll I'll include a link uh, to the article that he wrote from Time Magazine uh, in the show notes so you can check this out. But... Uh, he said that this desire to have an explanation, to understand with detail of the inner workings of what's happening in the world and asking and imposing these questions on God, right? Why is this happening? Or God, why are you allowing this? He says that this impulse doesn't come from a, a Christian theology or even from scripture, but it actually comes just from the enlightenment period of the late 18th century. It's when we turned everything into something that could be measured scientifically, And sometimes we try to impose that on God, and I think God resists that type of questioning. Uh, He goes on to say that for millennia, God's people have dealt with pandemics, right? Pandemics are not new. And it's only recently where we've become so accustomed to a life absent of death and discomfort that we we really start to have existential crises when, when pandemics and natural disasters occur. Um, But centuries before, this was just a fact of life. And it, and it didn't really rock people the way it m- maybe does now to us. Um, he goes on to say some other things that we'll talk a little bit more later on. But the point here is this, this impulse for rational arguments isn't something that's necessarily based in something that we see in Scripture. There's a different response. 
And so when we see um, usually Christians, usually Christians giving responses and trying to explain what's happening, I think what we see is that they're not actually responding in a way that's biblically informed or theologically informed, but it's actually got this foundation or this framework that's based on the modern period or enlightenment period. Now, you might not know what I even mean by when I say that, um, which would be a good um, thing to go look up on Wikipedia or whatever. Um, this is not a college class. Don't worry. You can use Wikipedia. Wikipedia is awesome. I use it all the time. Um, a way we might see these explanations coming out in the real world um, Jonathan Merritt has an article where he was talking a little bit about some of the articles, uh, some of the different things that are coming out. And uh, apparently a church in Texas, um, I love Texas, I used to live there, I'm a pastor there. Uh, Texas is its own land. So love you Texans, thank you for listening if you're from Texas. Uh, y'all could also be a little bit crazy sometimes, um, but that's just part of the Bible Belt, I think. But apparently someone in, in Texas, a church in Texas made a billboard simply with the question asking, is this God's judgment? Uh, is the coronavirus God's judgment on our nation? Um, so everyone passing by is filled with that message of hope that God is raining the fire, uh, uh, fiery judgment of virus down on the world. Um, Merritt also blessed John Piper, who is a well-respected theologian and pastor, uh, because Piper in an article said that sometimes God uses natural disasters and pandemics to judge sinful people in nations. And I think he left the question open as to whether that might be happening now. Now, I think Merritt was perhaps a little unfair with Piper's comments there, um, because the reality is, if you're going to be honest with what the Bible says, there are moments in the Bible where God says a natural disaster or a pandemic or a raid from a foreign army or whatever it might be, pain and suffering sometimes is a consequence of sin. But John Lennox makes this great point. John Lennox is a um, uh, apologetics guy. Uh, I think he's actually a mathematician from Oxford. Wonderful Irish accent. You should look him up on YouTube. He uh, recently released a book, actually. He, the dude already, this is how smart John Lennox is. He already has written and released a book about where God is in the midst of the coronavirus. I haven't read it yet, but I watched a, a video that he posted about it. Uh, so that's a resource out there if you want it. But John Lennox says um, that although God does use pandemics and disasters in scripture, that unless we have his direct word that that's what he's doing now, we should never assume that that's what's happening, right? In scripture, we have God's direct word that that that's why the pandemic or suffering or pain is happening. And think about all the different opportunities that there were for pain. Um, if you think about the world of the biblical authors um, and God's people from Israel into the New Testament times, I mean, these are people who could die from getting a cold, right? Most women died through childbirth. Most children didn't make it past the age of like eight If you had an abscess tooth or a toothache, like you're probably dying. There were lots of reasons. I mean, there's a lot of death, a lot of, a lot of raids from armies, a, a, lots of, a lot of injuries, a lot of discomfort. It was a part of normal life. Okay, so in Scripture, we only see a small selection of these types of events that are actually attributed to God's direct judgment, and God is the one who's saying this is what's happening. And John Lennox's point is, if if we don't have God's direct word telling us that that's what he's doing in this, why would we ever assume that? John Lennox goes on to make the point that in scripture, even in the New Testament, Jesus would use natural disasters 
um, like a tower falling on people, things that were just, you can't point it on someone's own choice, like moral evil. This is not moral evil. This is natural evil or natural disaster. He says even Jesus would talk about these things and say it's not a result of sin. Um, so it's not like you need to call people to repent because they sinned, and that's why all this bad stuff is happening. But John Lennox says this, and I think this is such a great way of understanding the dynamic of, between Scripture and relating it to this contemporary issue. He says, um, although we shouldn't say people need to repent because their sin is causing this, we should recognize that pandemics like the coronavirus um, make us think about our own mortality. Right? They help us to think about the fact that we are not above suffering and pain, uh, despite the fact that we've come to believe, especially in the West, that we're going to live forever. You know, we are going to live forever. We're going to live in comfort. And anything that's not pleasurable or comfortable to us must be wrong, or we must have done something wrong to earn it. That sounds like karma, by the way. He says that even as we go through these things, what they should do is they should cause us to reflect on who God is. Our reflections on our mortality should cause us to reflect on God's eternity. And when we do that, that should lead us to repentance. That should lead us to recognize our life, our insufficiencies, not as a cause of what's happening, but as a part of a broken world. And then we, we want to attach ourselves to a God who is above, um, above all of this, who offers us life abundantly, even in the midst of all of this. So I think it's a great way of, of looking at that. When you want to say that this is the cause of someone's sin, typically what you're doing is you're looking at your political enemies. You're looking at those who you say are the other and you're saying it's their sin, it's their fault. And uh, I think it insulates you from actually having to deal with your own mortality and your own response to God. And so let's not go there. Let's not respond that way. Let's not, uh, especially if you are a Christian leader um, or just a, a Christian layperson, let's not try to make that kind of explanation for what's happening on. But let's also not be the people who roll the stone away from the tomb a minute after Jesus was put in there, skip Holy Saturday and go straight to Easter Sunday, right? Let's not just pump the sunshine and act like the hardship doesn't exist. We, we need a more pastoral response and a more theologically informed response to what's happening. God allows this to happen? If those are the responses that we shouldn't have, it leads us to, to two questions. First, let's get to the theological question. What kind of God allows this to happen? And can we trust him? And, and then if so, how should we respond to all of this? So I want to offer two thoughts on who God is, and then um, just a few thoughts on responding. So first, who is God in the midst of this? Well, I think what we see in the gospel accounts, and I want to focus my, my answer to this question of who God is that allows this um, by looking to Jesus and not just to all of Jesus' life, but to the pinnacle of Jesus' life, the gospel events of uh, his passion, his, his death, his resurrection, and what that tells us about who God is. Because what we know from the New Testament is that all of our understanding about who God is has to run first through the filter of Jesus his death, and his resurrection. And so the first thing that I want to say is that that story, the story of Easter, the story of Jesus, 
shows us that God himself in Jesus has experienced the full depths of human pain, suffering, and heartache. And because of that, he completely understands our pain and suffering and heartache as well. God, the God who allows these types of things to happen, is the God who actually understands all of the pain we could ever imagine and more. He is the God who, in his son Jesus, has experienced more hardship and pain and suffering than any of us could ever imagine, and therefore he can sympathize and empathize with us. Unlike other religions, and and even at times the well-meaning Christians, right, the Christian radio kind of sunshine pumpers, the God of the Bible does not overlook pain. He doesn't expect us to overlook pain, because he doesn't. He's the God who himself suffers. You know, so we don't need to act like pain doesn't exist. We don't need to spiritualize it. We don't need to act like it's not all that bad. We don't need to see our spiritual lives as an escape from the hardships. God in Christ, evidence through the cross and through the tomb, gives us permission to feel the pain, to truly experience it, to give us permission to weep and to cry. He gives us permission even to feel hopeless at times. Jesus on the cross reciting Psalm 23, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is the God who suffers with us, the God who has suffered himself. The second point I want to make about who this God is that allows pandemics is that not only does the story of Easter, the story of Jesus, give us permission to acknowledge and feel our pain, but the resurrection of Jesus, it gives us hope that our pain is not meaningless. You see, Jesus' pain certainly was not meaningless. Through his pain, through his death, his suffering, he has earned eternal life with God for all of us who would believe in him. Um, one, one part of the Easter story I think is so fascinating. And uh, I was thinking about this uh, just you know recently having celebrated Easter. I was reading through some of the Gospels. And in John, reading, of course, the story of Thomas interacting with uh, the, the resurrected Jesus um, just days after he came back to life. And Thomas gets a bad rap, man. Poor guy. He probably did awesome things. I think he took the Gospel to, to Ethiopia, started the church there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but no one knows him for that. He just will forever be doubting Thomas. But doubting Thomas said, unless I see the scars in Jesus's hands, I'm not going to believe it. And what's so interesting is that typically we focus on Thomas's doubt and how Jesus met him in the midst of his doubt. But what we skip over is the fact that the risen Jesus, the one who has a glorified body, right? This fascinating, if you read the stories of Jesus's appearances after his resurrection, He is in a physical body. He's eating fish, right? He's eating and drinking with the disciples. And yet he's also walking in through walls and doors like a ghost. He's disappearing at the drop of a hat and appearing elsewhere. It's this fully spiritual, fully physical body, um, which we're promised to have someday. But even though he is in a glorified, perfect, restored body, he still has the scars from the cross. Have you ever thought about that? He's, he's been raised to life, given a glorified spiritual body that will live forever and never ever again experience a broken bone or a hangnail, right? Or a paper cut. And yet he still has holes in his hands and his side and his feet, 
from the cross. It's fascinating. But this is what's so fascinating to me, not just that he has the scars, it's that whereas typically scars remind us of our pain and our suffering, Jesus' scars have transformed from memories of pain to markers of hope. You see, Jesus' scars no longer point to death and decay or to hopelessness, to pictures of the suffering Christ on the cross or the dead Christ in the tomb, cold and pale and decaying. But after the resurrection, the scars point to life and to salvation, to hope, to purpose, and to victory. The same scars that came through suffering and death are now a sign of a battle with evil and brokenness with our world in which Jesus reigns victorious, in which he overcomes all of the evil and darkness and suffering in the world. And and this is how this connects to us. If that's who our God is, the God who has experienced all of this human pain and suffering himself and who wears the scars, but who has turned the scars into markers not of hopelessness, but of hope, when we trust in him, when we set our mind and our hearts on him to follow him, to try to worship him and to love him, to practice his way of life, we are promised a resurrection like his. And what that means is that by our connection to Jesus, our pain and suffering and hardships will also become signifiers of victory and purpose in life rather than of death, decay, and hopelessness. Isn't that amazing? The God who is not above all this, who is in the midst of it, allows us, while we suffer through this, when we put our faith in Him, to have whatever scars we're racking up, to point to the life that He has earned through it. Man, that's good news. That's good news. That's, that's news that's so much better than some of the, the, the kind of half gospels we spin out there, just the positive truisms that kind of miss the authenticity and reality of pain and the hurt that we feel. It's way better than the Buddhist idea of just transcending everything. It's way better than just trying to ignore that it's happening. It's certainly way better than just being depressed and hopeless as if there's no reason to any of this. It's just happening, but there's no hope, like in an atheistic or materialist worldview. This is a promise that God gives us that he's actually going to take everything bad and broken in this world and somehow someday when he returns, he's going to make things better for having ever been broken. So that's who God is. That's the kind of God the Bible presents us with. That's the kind of God who would allow these kind of things to happen. It's the kind of God who allows it to happen to himself, but to use it for salvation. So then quickly, how should we respond if that's the case? Well, the first thing I would say is if that's who God is, and we're trying to walk through this faithfully, we should respond by leaning into lament. Leaning into lament. Lament isn't something we deal with a lot anymore, but it's something that is all throughout scripture. It's most of the Psalms and the book of Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, are lament Psalms. Uh, N.T. Wright in his article, which I'll post in the notes, says that lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. He goes on to say that the point of lament is woven into the fabric of the biblical tradition. He says it's not just an outlet for frustration, sorrow, loneliness, and the sheer ability to understand what is happening or why. 
he says it's that God also laments with us when we lament, kind of the point we were just talking about. And so read the Psalms of lament. If you're looking for a good way to respond to this, how to deal with the pain, the feelings that you have, the emotions that you have, take them to God and lament. He is big enough to hear you say, God, what the heck are you doing? Why is my life unraveling? God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, I'm angry with you. God, I don't even believe in you right now, but I'm talking to you. He can handle it. So lean into lament. Secondly, avoid searching for black and white answers or explanations for why this is happening. Okay, that should be so clear right now. And N.T. Wright, again, in his point, in his article, just says there are no, uh, it's not part of the Christian vocation, the Christian witness to try to have reasons for all of this. That's enlightenment thinking. It's not a part of what we're supposed to do. Even if you're a pastor, resist the urge to try to explain away what's happening. Um, sometimes it's just part of what's happening and we just need to lean into the fact that God's with us and he understands rather than trying to give, um, peace from these answers. Uh, James Martin, again, the Catholic theologian in the article, again, I'll add his, uh, the link to his article in the, the show notes as well. If we're asking why this is happening or why God is allowing this to happen, He says, in the end, the most honest answer to the question of why the COVID-19 virus is killing thousands of people, why infectious diseases ravage humanity, and why there is suffering at all is, we don't know. He goes on to say, an important question for the believer in times of suffering like this is, rather, can you believe in a God that you don't understand? And he ends the article by saying, I don't understand why people are dying, but I can follow the person who gives me a pattern for life in the midst of all of this. Again, the answer is not to have all the answers. The answer is to trust in the one who does. All right, so don't look for the answers. Don't try to give the answers. Just trust the one who does have the answers. The one who has felt all of these things, all of the pain, all of the suffering, who suffers with us, trust in him. And finally, the last thing I would say is seek peace from the Prince of Peace. Okay, so... Um, I love this line from John Lennox. He says this. He says, the world can't give us peace. It can give us medicine, but it cannot give us peace. God in Christ gives us peace. Friends, we don't need to seek peace right now or comfort or solace in the midst of what's happening um, by finding those reasons or explanations for what's happening. We're not going to find the peace in a vaccine, although certainly that's a great thing that we are going to be comforted by. And we're certainly not going to find peace from the bottom of a bottle of wine or a mixture of pills or from the endless cycle of news media. It's going to be found in Christ alone. Lennox says that the way that we find peace is that we fill our minds with something that's outside of ourselves. We don't find it in inner strength in that mental fortitude that coaches like to talk about, but we find it in God himself we find it in a source that's outside of us that we seek and that we pursue. And so friends, as we end this podcast, this first podcast of the Gray Matter uh, show, I uh, just want to encourage you, lean into lament during this time. Trust in the God who suffers with us as we suffer. Avoid the rationalistic answers. Be a pastoral presence in people's life, not the one with all the answers. And be someone who is leaning in, prayerfully reading scripture, spending time with God in this time to say, God, what do you want to do with me in this? God, what are you calling out of me in this time? 
Find your comfort there. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I hope that whatever you're facing in the midst of this issue or whatever you're going to face in the future, because like I said before, the truths that we shared and talked about today apply not just to the coronavirus, but to any aspect of pain and suffering. And I hope that this will be helpful to you. I hope this will be a place of encouragement for you. If you have any thoughts, I would love to hear them. My uh, ways to get in, in touch with me are listed in the show description. Some great articles, again, are going to be linked in the show notes. And uh, that's all I have for this episode. Uh, We'll have more content coming to you very soon. But for this first one, thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll be back sometime soon with the Gray Matter podcast.